Even though the Texarkana Phantom Killer was never captured, many believe police had the killer in their grasp but couldn't charge Yul Sweeney due to insufficient evidence. Over the years, new theories would arise about who the Phantom Killer really was and why the killing stopped. Was he arrested for other crimes? Did he commit suicide? Did he move on and become an even more notorious killer? Join us as we conclude our series on the Texarkana Phantom Killer and dive into the darkness one crime at a time. Welcome to One Crime at a Time. I'm your host, Shannon. With me, as always, my sister from the same Mr. Christina. Hi, everybody. I feel like I rushed through that. Like I said, all that really fast. No, it was, it was fine. Okay. So, what's up? Oh, I'm tired. Yeah, me too. So, that's all there is to say about that. <laughs> I am exhausted. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long week. But, um, we're here. Yeah. We're here. We want to wish our mom... Hope that she gets well. She's been a little under the weather the yeah, last few days, so it's just been so it's been a hard few days. But it has. She'll but make it. It's gonna. She's it's gonna, gonna get better. So get just want to say that. Hope, hope she gets better. Even though she doesn't listen to this, I don't think she's ever listened to it. To be she honest, act, she did one time. Cause okay, because <laughs> you made her. <laughs> Well, no, because she wanted to, and I can't remember which episode it was. Oh, okay. Well, if, she, she's, if you're listening to this episode, Mama, I hope you get yeah. better soon. Um, I need to say before we get started that today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skin care, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skincare needs. Find your favorite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more, all in one place, with gifts with every purchase. Right now, the Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off your next purchase by using the code POD. That's code P-O-D for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod dot list. Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. Do they have a brain store? <laughs> I need a new brain. Right now. Do they have in, an energy store? <laughs> For real? Do they have anything that will give you energy? Do they have? I just need a wellness store. Like I just need to they be have, well. They have those. It's called not, GMC. No, I just need stuff to make me well. The vitamin shopping. Shopping. <laughs> That's what the old English spelling. <laughs> Shoppe. I mean, what's up with that? Uh, uh, we also brought to you by our subscribers on Patreon. You guys are wonderfully yes, awesome. Yes, you are. We love you. If you would like to help support the show, you can for as little as a dollar a month. We have several levels that include access to our exclusive Patreon feed, mini-sodes, merchandise, and commercial-free episodes. So yes. you can go check that out if you so desire. And now our weekly review, our one review that we do <laughs> every week. <laughs> we'll get around to your review one day. One day. Just keep listening. It'll Just come keep up. writing them and one day 
when you least expect it. It'll be your It'll turn. It'll be your turn. This says- but if you if you count right, you can kind of figure it out. Right, you can figure it out. If you- <laughs> this one says surprisingly entertaining. Wow, thanks. I ha- oh, it comes from Adriel Brock. I need to say that. Because I have to say, when I first read the description, I wasn't sure this would be something I would be interested in. However, I was pleasantly surprised. The stories are very well researched. That is what has pulled me in and made me a fan. Way to go, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that we entertain you surprisingly. <laughs> you were shocked. <laughs> Thanks, so are we. <laughs> we, are, we are, too. To we be, were, too. To be honest. honest. <laughs> but we appreciate you, Angel. Thank you very much. Okay, so... Back to our story. <laughs> and now, the rest, rest of, of the, the story. story. <laughs> so, when we left off last week, with Yul Sweeney, we were talking about this guy. He had been sentenced to life in prison for car theft due to his repeat offender status. Did I say repeat offender? Is that what I said? <laughs> now she's Spanish. A repeat offender. His repeat offender status. However, he was not and never would be charged with the Texarkana killings because they just didn't have enough evidence to charge him, basically. Okay. They didn't really have anything against him, as we discussed well, last week, but well, I'm I mean, not going to get into that again. It, 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 to me, there was nothing there. <laughs> I told y'all I didn't Appa- Apparently, there was nothing there for you either. <laughs> I, I can't form sentences. Um, That's not a good thing when you're trying to record a podcast. <laughs> Well, I mean, there it's was... It's kind of based on, you know, forming sentences. <laughs> it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard moving. I mean, there was stuff there, but that stuff that was there, you could pretty much say it was anybody. Yeah, I mean, I, the, to me, it just wasn't It wasn't. Evidence. I mean... It was just... It was circumstantial. And, but, I mean... I mean, that, I know they had you could, you could take anybody off the street and use that evidence that they had and say that they'd done it is yeah, what I'm saying. Except for the statements from Peggy, but there and again, to me, they don't mean anything i don't think that they were completely i mean i don't think that she was telling i the think truth. she was pissed off because he left her to get arrested <laughs> and that's why she done it i meant to say that last week but i we, we finished before i Let had a chance show you something boy watch this watch this now police didn't have any other suspects and two years would go by before they would have any new leads now, Henry Booker Tennyson, who went by the abbreviated HB or by his nickname, Duty. <laughs> okay. I need an email. <laughs> I need to know <laughs> how you got that nickname or how he got that nickname. Yeah, I don't know. His, that's what his mama called him, okay. apparently. Well, she changed his diapers. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying. Anyway, duty. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to say that without giggling. Kind of like Spanky in yeah. the coon <laughs> <laughs> Throwback. So, duty was an 18-year-old freshman at the University of Arkansas. Okay. And on November the 5th of 1948, which would have been two years after the murders happened, Tennyson was found dead in his bedroom in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It was discovered that just two days before, on November the 3rd, Tennyson had purchased mercury cyanide. He said at the time that he was purchasing it to use it as rat poison. That's what they all said. That's what they all said. Everybody, there's a lot of people. Oh, easy. That's what she said. (laughs) Well, you know, I done a on our other podcast. I done one where a woman killed herself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Yeah, so. Now, inside Tennyson's bedroom, there was, they found, because he had taken the poison, and they found him dead. Well, you, you yeah, take I mean, mercury cyanide, yeah. people, it will kill yeah, you. Yeah, so he died. He did. <laughs> he did. He did. Tennyson's bedroom inside was a confusing note which contained a riddle. It was a riddle to find out the combination to a lockbox that Tennyson had in his room. Now, investigators quickly surmised that the riddle pointed to a BB fountain pen which contained a note inside of it. That note contained the combination for the lockbox. Police also discovered... I mean, okay, hold on just a second. You're dead. Why not just leave the combination to the lockbox? There's a reason, and we're about to get to it. Well, maybe not about to, but we'll get to it before... Before the show is... Before the show is over, There's, I think there was a reason that they did that. That he did that. Now, police also discovered that the cap of the pen contained traces of the mercury cyanide that Tennyson had used to kill himself. He snorted it. I think what had happened, I think from what the bottle... Because there's pictures of the bottle online, and I think that it came in pill form. So what I'm thinking is he used the top of the pen to, like, crush, to crush it up. It. That's what I'm thinking. Crush it. I could be wrong. Could be. I've been wrong once or twice before. Now, before this combination was discovered, officers had already broken open the lockbox. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was kind of pointless for him to... <laughs> Go through this big labyrinth. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, with those combination lockboxes, it's really not that hard to, like, open them. Yeah, I don't think that he thought that they would bust it open, but they did. They're the police investigating things. They're going to bust open the lockbox. Yeah, so they busted open the box, and inside they found a Viewmaster with several rolls of film of Mexico and a stack of papers. Now, under the stack of papers was a note confessing to the Texarkana killings and stated that this is what had driven Tennyson to commit suicide. They also found several other letters and notes and what appeared to be drafts of letters in Duty's room. <laughs> or maybe he just killed himself because he got tired of being called Duty. <laughs> Could be. I mean, really? Yeah. What kind of parents are you? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm going to go over some of these letters in a minute. But first, let's go in a little bit into Duty's background. <laughs> <laughs> now, H.B. Duty Tennyson was born February the 12th, 1930, and was a native of Texarkana. Okay. He, he was said by his sister to be extremely shy and did not have many friends. Well, I mean, with a name like, like Duty. <laughs> Now, he did play trombone in the Arkansas High Band with Betty Jo Booker. However, it is said that they were not friends. Now, Betty Jo Booker's mom said that they did know each other. Because well, they were it, in band together. Yeah, and this they, wasn't so a big they, band, so, yeah, they I mean, knew they each knew other. each other, yeah. but that doesn't mean that now, they were... Now, maybe they weren't, like, close friends, but, but they, they were knew acquaintances, each other. yes. I mean, I knew everybody in our school, but yeah. not all of us were friends. Right. So, I mean... Now, he was very into comic books and loved listening to quiz shows on the radio. Now, his parents divorced when he was just starting high school, and this was due to his mother finding out that his father was seeing another woman. So, she's like, no, that ain't gonna cut it. So, she's like, you know, get the hell out. And in high school, he worked part-time as an usher at the Paramount Theater. Okay. 
Now, he was not very interested in schoolwork and barely managed to graduate, but he did in June of 1948, which means that he would have been a teenager at the time of the murders, having just turned 16 when the first assault took place. So, just keep that in mind, too. Now, of the letters that were found, there are three that are referred to as the Big Three, because these are the ones most frequently reported on and printed in the newspapers at the time. Okay. Now, when we're going through these letters and notes, we're not going to go in the order that they were found. Keep that in mind. We will go into that later, because that's going to become important. But for now, we will just go through the first, the Big Three first, then go over a few handwritten letters found and some that are referenced as the others <laughs> the others letters well we got these three but then yeah, the, the others, others. <laughs> now the first letter that was found also happens to be one of the big three and this letter is referred to as the final word letter now the final word note was presented in a brown folder with a formal title of my final word written on the front of it and was dedicated I lost my place. And was dedicated to all my friends. Okay? Now, the Aww. brown... <laughs> the brown folder was found on Duty's dresser. You're just... <laughs> I can't. I'm going to have to just start saying H.B. or Tennyson. <laughs> I just can't. It was typewritten, but was signed H.B. in pen at the bottom of the Not note. formal. Yes. Now, this letter reads... Please disregard all other messages which I have written. They are only thoughts which I was thinking about as possible reasons for taking my own life. As I think about it, it is none of these things. They are not the reason for this incident. There's a much larger point to it all. Happiness. Yes, happiness. If I am out of the way, all of the family can get down to their own lives. Mother will not have to worry about me making my grades. And Daddy will not have to put out any more money on me, which probably would do no good, no do no more good than it did in high school. No one will have to worry about me. Keep having to push me through the things that would be best for me. After much thought, I decided to take this way out. It took more thought than anyone can think possible. It started about a week ago when I began to think of a way to get out of this. Running away would not do any good. The police would find me wherever I went and would bring me back to it all. No, Mother and Daddy are not to blame. It is just me. If I had done what they told me to do, this would never have happened. Studying instead of playing around. Going out with the people in my age group instead of staying home and dreaming. I wanted to go into the business. That is why I worked in the factory and traveled on the road. He's talking about his father's business. Okay. I liked it and wanted to be a part of it. But when I came to the University of Arkansas, I could not get the right feeling. I got lazy and cut classes when I felt like it. I never had any excuse for my absences. I just played around. I never even cracked book at home at night. Had more fun by myself drawing. In class, I did not take notes. Oh, I did take a few just enough to make the instructor think that I was working. The few I did take did not do any good, for I could not read them. When my check came in from Daddy, I went to town and bought things I had no use for. 
just got them for the purpose of having fun and to play with. I did not eat the right type of food. I spent many dollars for candy, which I ate in a day. (laughs) Sometimes I would not even eat a meal for a whole day, not because I did not have the money, for I had rather have something to play with. One day I went to three shows, all different, and it was a school day too. Another time I went to a show at the Ozark three times in three nights to see the same show. Just a waste of money, I know, but I had to think, and when I think about a subject like this, I have to be relaxed. Now that I have thought it over through and through, this is the only way I can find that will suit me and my family. I hope that you will see it my way. It it, it is... <laughs> It is really the best way out for me. I don't want to hurt anybody more than possible. It is my wish that you will remember me as a friend and a son as the years go past. Well, the moment is near. I will take the door which says exit in a few minutes. I only want to wish you all the success in the world and much happiness. To mother, I just want to say that you are the best mother a fellow ever had. And I would not want anything to hurt you as much as I have in the past years. To Daddy, I want to say thanks for everything you have done for me, and I am sorry about the way things turned out. Well, I guess I will leave you here. Wish I could stay for a little while longer, but I cannot, as I told you before. Don't cry for me. Just remember me. Much love to you all. And then it was signed in PNHB. It's pretty sad. <laughs> Just sitting here reading that thing. Gosh, this is sad. <laughs> yeah, that's... So that was the first... That was the note that was laid out. On the dresser. So that was in the envelope. So that's obviously the one that he wanted to be found. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, the second of the big three letters was the confession note. Now, this note was found at the bottom of the the stack of papers and stuff that was in the strong box. Now, it appears that Duty did not intend for the confession note to be seen by anyone other than his family. And it appears unlikely that he anticipated that the authorities would bust open his strong box, or else he wouldn't have gone through all that trouble of making this riddle for them to find it. Right. Now, it appears that Duty assumed his his personal effects, including the BB pen, would be turned over to his family, who would be the ones to open the strong box and then discover the confession note. And it may have been his intention to make a private confession just to his family. That he and of course he, I don't think that he thought that it would become public, right? Or he, I just don't think. I think that was the point of doing the whole elaborate (coughs) riddle, trying to yeah lead people to the combination to open this box. Now the confession note says, "To whom it may concern, this is my last word to you, fine people, and you are fine." I want to thank you for all the trouble that you have gone to, to send me to college and to bring me up. You have really been wonderful. My thanks to Ella Lee for letting me stay with her during my college career. And to and to Belva Joe for putting up with me the way she did. She had to know, but I fell in love with her about a week ago. If she was older, I would have asked her to marry me, but that would be impossible. So let me just say this right here. Let me interrupt. <laughs> now, Belva Joe was Ella Lee's daughter, who he was staying with while he went to college. Okay. In whose house this room was in where he killed right. himself. Now, okay. Belva Joe was 12 years old. 
Oh, well, he said if she were older. So, but he's claiming he's in love with this 12-year-old. Well, I mean, maybe he is, but he knows he can't do anything about it because um, she's too young. So, yeah, at least well, I he's just got a little bit of I sense. just wanted to put that out there. I just wanted everybody to have all the facts. I mean, it's not like he went after her or anything. <laughs> he knew. So, it continues. Why did I take my own life? Well, when you committed two double murders, you would too. Yes, I did kill Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin in the city park that night. And killed Mr. Starks and tried to get Mrs. Starks. You wouldn't have guessed it. I did it when Mother was either out or asleep and no one saw me do it. For the guns, I disassembled them and discarded them in different places. When I am found, which has already been done, please give this typewriter to Craig, who was his older brother, and tell him that I hope his child is a boy. It will help him in his work. Everything can go wherever you think it will do best, except for the Viewmaster, which will go to Belva Joe. Please take my bankroll and give it to Daddy. I think it should go to him, and tell him I don't want the car now. Well, goodbye, everybody. See you sometime if I make the grade, which will be hard for me to make. And it was signed H.B. Tennyson. Now... The newspapers don't make it clear whether the signature on the confession note was typed or if it was handwritten in pen like the final word letter was. But since he had the pen at the time he wrote the note, and since he signed the final word note by the pen, it's probably likely that it was signed, I would think. I don't know that for sure. That's just me guessing. Right. Now, the last of the big three is the instructions note. Now, this note was described as being found among his personal effects in the room. And it was likely found in a location other than his dresser because I don't, it's not the one that he would have, I don't think it was the one he wanted to be found. I don't think it was found with the final word. It was typewritten and he had used a rubber stamp with his name and address several times at the bottom. Okay. Now, since the newspapers did not indicate that the instruction note was found on the dresser, it appears likely that he had actually put it aside and maybe even had abandoned this note because it appears that he ultimately placed the numbers to the combination of his lockbox inside the BB pen. And this note goes into giving instructions on how to open the lockbox, but it appears that there's, because there's another letter called the riddle letter that actually tells where to find the combination in the pen. So I think maybe this instructions note was maybe like a first draft of him giving instructions on how to open the box, but then he abandoned it and went with the riddle instead. Right, okay. Now the the instructions letter reads, This is just a last word to all of you. I want you I want all of you to have a little gift from me. Let's say a going away present from me. These things are yours to keep if you want them, of course. You don't have to if you don't want to, but I would like very much if you did, even if it doesn't do you any good. Before I tell you where the list of things are, you must follow these instructions to the letter. 1. Call my relatives and tell them what has happened. 2. Get Craig, Joyce, J.D., Martha, and Mother here in the house. 3. I am to have a simple funeral. Not a flower is to be on the whole set. Not a flower. I am to be put in a simple wooden box and buried in the country, not a cemetery, about five miles from the University of Arkansas in any direction. (laughs) I find that odd. Four, destroy 
all of my possessions without even looking at them. They are not to be looked at at all. Burned in the backyard of 617 North College. After you have followed these directions, try and solve this riddle. In it, you will find the envelope where you will receive gifts up to $40, some less and some over. (laughs) February the 12th is the date of my birth. October the 30th is the date of my death. With the right combination, you can't miss. That's it. Figure it out for yourselves. Buy now and take care of yourselves. And like I said, this note was signed several times across the bottom of the page with the stamp. H.B. Tennyson, 617 North College, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Okay. Now, I don't really know what to make of all of that. First of all, he get, it, it had to have been, I think it was a first draft. Right. Because in it, he even says October the 30th is the date of my death. Well, we know that he didn't die till November the, what, 4th? So, even though he was thinking about it and writing these things... That's not the day he did it. So right, that was what right. makes one of the things that makes me think that this letter, it really it was just, it was the first draft of mm-hmm. something he was going to leave. I don't think that it was what he actually meant everybody to find. Now, the riddle note was handwritten in pen on a small piece of paper, which was found on the dresser beside the brown folder containing the word note, the final word note. So that, I'm thinking that this letter is the one he wanted Mm -hmm. people to see because it was right there in the open with the other letter. Now, the riddle note appears to have been written, like I said, to replace the original riddle contained in the instructions note. And it appears to have been inspired by by 1948 advertisements for the BB pens, which mentioned that a BB pen rolls on dry. The pens came in several different colors, and the models without clips would easily roll across a smooth surface. So that was the advertisement that they would, it rolls on dry, so that's what they said about these pens. Okay. Now the riddle note says, in a tube, in a tube, a paper is found. It rolls on color, and it is dry and sound. The head remove the head removes the tail will turn and inside is the sheet you yearn. Two bees mean a lot when they are together. These clues should lead you to it. Okay. okay so it's in the BB pen. It's a piece of paper rolled up inside the BB pen. That was the riddle. Now then there's what is called the combination note. And this note it was simply the numbers to the combination of the lot box, which was scrolled up inside the BB pen. I mean, that's pretty much all it was. Now, the other things that he, other this some of the other stuff that he had written. Now, the Texarkana Gazette states, Tennyson even wrote his own epitaph, oddly enough, dating his death on October the 2nd. Okay. Now, thus it appears that the epitaph note was written no later than October 2nd. So, it appears that he was considering suicide even a month before he actually did it, even mm-hmm. though he states that he had only been thinking about it a week. But this seems to be dated October the 2nd, so it seems that he was thinking about it way back then. Right. Um, and the epitaph actually read, Here lies H.B. Tennyson, born February 12, 1930. 
died October 2nd, 1948. He committed suicide for the happiness of his family. May he rest in peace. Amen. Now, the Northwest Arkansas Times states, Among his effects were found two pieces of paper on which he had written an epitaph for his tombstone and also newspaper headlines to go over the storytelling of his suicide. So he even had it written up for like the what the headlines would say when they found him dead. Okay. The first headline read, UA student found dead. Oh, Simple okay. enough. Now, the second headline read, UA student commits suicide. So, I guess he was trying to figure out whether he would rather them say he was found dead or if he committed suicide. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what was going through his mind at this time when he's just doing all these writings. Now, there was also a note asking that the pen be returned to where he bought it from. Now, although this note is never quoted directly by the newspapers, the tech, the Northwest Arkansas Times states, In one note he left, the youth asked that the pen he got from the newsstand be returned to Mrs. Smith. The, uh, the Northwest Arkansas Times also states, A fountain pen which he re- requested in another note be returned to a local store where he said it belonged. Now, I don't know. It seems like he's making a lot of this pen. Yeah. I don't know what the significance is of that. It's like I've I mean, tried to wonder, like, why. Pen. Yeah, it is just a pen. Did he but pick it, it up from one of the crime scenes, maybe? I don't know, because he's, I mean, they they were able to verify where he bought it from. I don't know. It just seems that they know the date that he bought the pen, because they went back and were able to find that out. I just find that he's just putting a lot on this pen, and I just find that, I mean, I can't... I can't think of a reason why. Of course, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what was going through his mind at the time, but it just seems like, for some reason, there's a lot of emphasis on this BB pen. I don't know why. But did that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know. It's just something I'm pointing out. It probably doesn't mean a thing other than somebody that was in a very weird state of mind. Yeah. Just obsessing over a pen, probably. They also found rough drafts of notes that were written in pencil, and these pencil drafts the Northwest Arkansas Times made reference to were possibly of only the confession note. However, there might have been pencil drafts of other notes as well, but none of the contents of the pencil rough drafts were published by the newspapers, so I don't know for sure. Right, okay. Now, some say there were also additional notes found, and according to the Texarkana Gazette, the sheriff said other handwritten and typewritten notes were found in in the room. But it's not clear whether this sentence refers to the notes that we've already talked about or if there was other stuff that we don't know about. I just don't know. Right, right. It seems that, that, that there are accounts that there were around 12 different notes or drafts written that they found. I don't know what they all contain. Okay. just seems some of them were drafts of other things. I don't know. Now, I think it's important to find to if, that we know when these letters were written and in what order they were written. Okay. Now, the final word note begins, please disregard the one that we read earlier. That has been presented in various media accounts, and the way it is presented in the majority of these seems to cause readers to conclude that it was found after the confession note, which we know it was not. Okay. Yet, 
the final word note was actually the most prominently displayed note of all the notes that he left because he left it just on, on the dresser labeled and everything. Right, right. So it was certainly, it wasn't the first, it was the first note to be found and scrutinized by authorities. Okay. Obviously. Well, yeah. Now, it wasn't found buried at the bottom of a stack of papers in a box. It was labeled in a folder and laid out. So I think that it's reasonable to assume that this is the letter, like I said, that duty absolutely meant for police to find first. Yeah. Now, the full sentence at the beginning of the final word note was, Please disregard all other messages which I have written. They are only thoughts which I was thinking about as possible reasons for taking my own life. As I think about it, it is none of these things. Now, despite what the newspapers and other media at the time claim, the opening sentence of the final word note does not recant or deny any of the confession murder, of confessions of murder in the confession note. Rather, rather, the final word note simply instructs readers to disregard other messages with regard to the reasons that Dewey gave for taking his own life. It doesn't say, I didn't murder, that, that you know, disregard the confession. Well, right. It says, you know, disregard the reasons that I gave for taking my own life. Uh-huh. We know that at least 12 notes or writings were found, and there were other notes in the lockbox which seemed to blame his lifelong depression for his suicide. So we know that so some, there okay. was some work. There was right, some, right, right. There were more some letters. Some people say that, that, that there were some letters that said that. Now, I can't find it in any newspaper report, so I don't know for sure, but I did read that. Okay. So Duty does not say in the final word note that all the other messages he wrote were false. He is saying the reasons he gave for committing suicide in those notes are not the real reason he's committing suicide. Right, yeah. The- Which insinuates there's another real reason that he is doing what he's doing. Right? Well, yeah. Which I mean, he states is happiness. That there he's would trying have to, to be. You know, he states I dropped that, my fidget spinner. <laughs> okay. So he does state that it's for happiness for his family is probably right. the real reason. Now, since the final word note and the confession note were not dated... Local authorities in Fayetteville realized that knowing the chronological order that the notes were written in was important. Uh, yeah. Because, because. It, in that, if the final word note was written before the confession note, that would mean that there would be another reason for believing that the final note was not intended to be a denial or recanting of the confession. Right? Right. Because if it was written before, he couldn't be... If the, you know, right? Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't be recanting something that he hadn't already written that he had not yet written. Thinking about right, and he knew he was going to write it. Well, then write it in there. Now, the final word note was typewritten, but was signed HB and PN at the bottom of the note. So it appears that the final word note was signed on or after October thirtieth, which appears to be the earliest date on which he had possession of the only pen found in his room which he could have used to sign his name with. Because there was no other pens found in the room. It was just that well, one BB pen. He ate them. <laughs> he used he them to wash them. down that cyanide. Yeah. He used them as a straw. Uh, okay. But <laughs> <laughs> well, then where did they go? <laughs> they wouldn't have still been there. Well, maybe he sucks really hard. I guess so. <laughs> I'm not even going to say anything. What? Let's just skim over that. 
Now, the typewritten body of the note was likely typed on or after October 30th as well. Now, it could have been typed before he had the pen. I mean, that's possible. Now, since the confession note mentions the Viewmaster, and since there is evidence the Viewmaster was purchased no earlier than October 30th, it seems that the confession note was written as early as October 30th, but no later than November 4th. Well, it would have to be no right. later than November right, 4th because, he was because dead. he's dead. Yeah. The, yeah, I, you did so, not have to put that in the report. Well, I'm just saying. I'm talking about them. You did, no, that's, my, that's me uh, putting that in there. That's just me trying I to. I thought that was in their report. I'm like, no, well, this is me kind putting of it in ob- my report that I'm telling you. That's kind of obvious because he wasn't alive. Well, I'm just your... reminding you that. You know, it had to be between those days, okay? So it was between the thirtieth and uh, October thirtieth and November fourth. You didn't even get to celebrate Halloween. No, yeah, Come you on. did. How? Because he didn't die till November the fourth. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's why I put it in there. <laughs> that's why he waited instead of it being October second. He's like, I can't die now. <laughs> Halloween's coming up. Now, despite these considerations, the Texarkana Gazette presented a narrative in, in such a way as to make it seem, without a doubt, that the final word note had somehow canceled or negated the claims that he had made in the confession note. No, but it, it didn't, didn't say that. Yeah. All it said was, this is, all it said was, is I've been, had, had written other letters stating why I killed myself, right. but none of those are the real reason. Right, that's what it he, said. He didn't say I want to recant the, my confession to murder because I didn't do it. Right. He did not say that. Now, moreover, the Texarkana Gazette misled some readers into believing that the final word note was found after the confession note. But it wasn't. We know that it wasn't because we know that that, See. that, that note was laid out right there on the dresser. That's the note that was found first. I know reporters have a job to do. <laughs> but they really, really, really sometimes get on my nerves. Now, just, in, just stop <laughs> telling lies. Now, in contrast, the authorities in Fayetteville do not appear to have thought this at all. However, well, considering that they're going to go straight to the thing that says the final word yeah. written in black. So all the over cops it. in Fayetteville didn't believe that the final note letter canceled out the confession note, and they did not think that it was written. Afterwards, you said the law enforcement believed that. Yeah, and the Fayetteville law enforcement. Have we actually found in that time era a law enforcement agency that's got <laughs> a little bit of sense? Well, now, however, oh lord, local, I knew it was too good no, to be true. No, don't listen. It. Local authorities in Texarkana. What does Texarkana got to do with this? Seemed all too willing, despite sufficient evidence, to agree with the newspapers instead of the Fayetteville police. <sighs> And we know why. Because they, they don't want to look stupid. They don't, they wanted it, they wanted, they thought that it was Sweeney. That's what they thought. That's what they told everybody. And, and they knew that they would look stupid if it come out that they, they had him in jail. Him. Even if it wasn't for the killings, he was in prison for well, life. this guy's dead now, so, I mean, does it really matter? But they're, if, He's yes, not gonna because hurt they would anybody. have been wrong. They've been wrong the whole time. Yeah. It seems they really, really wanted this to be the truth. Okay? <laughs> In 1948, the Texarkana Gazette printed the following headline. Quote, Note canceling murder admission found. And in the November 4th, 2013 edition, 
of the This Week in History column, which just seems to kind of have been a summary of yeah what happened of that of that story. It states that Duty Tennyson had quote left behind a message denying he was the Phantom Killer. Well, hell no, he didn't. He did not. He never said that ever, never, ever, never. <laughs> That's not what it said. No, he said that he killed the Starks and Becky and that other boy, Betty Joe. Or be, yeah, Betty Joe. I and see. I knew Paul it started Martin. with a B. <laughs> hey, I don't. I was close. Yeah. But no, he did not say that. That is a fault. That is printed in a newspaper, and it's blatantly false. Left behind a message denying he was the Phantom Killer. No, he didn't. No, people. he didn't because, first of all, so I just he never s- said he was the phantom killer. <laughs> so he couldn't. He, but he didn't. He didn't call himself a phantom killer, no. He did not. And he did not confess. To the other murders, the only other four are. Only Which four we will get into three, that. Well, and, three. Yeah. Now, there are some that say that the way it was worded, that they seem to think that he was saying he did confess commit all the murders but i don't know he, he, my he explicitly guess be, named those four my guess would be that he if he if he did commit those four those three and attempted murder mm-hmm. that he did kill all of them mm-hmm. but that's not what's in the note no it's not he explicitly names two of the couples so he didn't name. deny being the phantom killer no because he did if not. he just killed those three people he wasn't the phantom killer. Well, I'm just saying that he didn't he say was he, was, half, he wasn't. He was one half of the phantom killer. <laughs> that they just grouped into one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got you. See? Now, it's also important to point out that Washington County Sheriff Bruce, Bruce Kreider, who was in Fayetteville, had as much opportunity as anyone to consider the order in which H.B. Tennyson wrote his notes because he was the one investigating, right? So he had he was the one investigating the scene, not the cops in Texarkana and not the reporters from Texarkana, right? That's, I'm telling you, reporters just get why <laughs> why are you going to say stuff that ain't true? Uh, because that's what they're they're being told, I think, for, by the Texarkana police. Why are you listening to the police office? Because that's who's that they're listening to the cops and where they are. I know, but they're listening to a PD in a town that this did not even happen right. in. So, so, if you're gonna report on something, at least make an <laughs> attempt to call the people who were investigating it. Now, I mean, you know, I could be wrong, and it may just be. I mean, but I just have a feeling that had to be where they were getting their information from. I mean, I'm not saying take a whole lot of time on it, but pick up the phone. They had phones in 48. I mean. We know they did. Because yeah. Katie Stark tried to call somebody. I mean, you know, it, pick, pick up the phone and tell Sarah that you need, Sarah, that you need to talk to the Fayetteville PD. <laughs> now, Sheriff Crider is one high-profile authority who believed that the confession note had been written after the final word note. Sheriff Crowder's position on this question is documented in the Hope Star newspaper, the Wednesday, November 10th, 1948 edition. He states, which re- it, it reads, Washington County Sheriff Bruce Crider, who originally investigated the suicide, said, however, he still is not satisfied as to the reasons for some of Tennyson's statements in the notes. He seemed to imply in one note that he had told someone before that he was at the park that night. 
when Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin were killed, the sheriff said. And I can only guess that this was said in one of the letters that has not been printed and we are not privy to. That may, There may be something in those letters right. that they don't want everybody right. to know. That I'm thinking Texarkana may not have been privy to, but it, the well, stuff they were privy to, they were misinterpreting anyway. Yeah, because they were lying about it because they thought they had to be right. Yeah, so Crider declared, however, that he had never had much faith in the notes. But he said he was satisfied that the note Tennyson wrote in which he claimed he was responsible for the three murders was the last one written before his death. Another note in which Tennyson asked finders to disregard all others was written previously, Crider contended. The sheriff said the fountain pen used in the note containing the admissions had been purchased only a few days before the message was dated. So we know that they had evidence of exactly when the pen was purchased. Yes. Which leads us to be able to give a pretty good estimate of the dates that some of the letters were written because they were signed with that pen. Right. Right? So what are the reasons to that Duty Tennyson is a suspect? Well, for starters, his name is Duty. For real. Anybody <laughs> with the nickname Duty, you pretty much have to investigate him. I'm only joking, but for starters, really, he confessed to the murders and then committed suicide. I mean, so, would, I mean a know, lot of people do that. Yeah, they they so, confess to murders and notes and then kill themselves. I would call that a red flag. You okay? think? <laughs> Just saying. That's like a red freight train coming at you. And if the sheriff's department and all the people in Texarkana can't see that, then they're stupid. I mean, and he may not even be guilty, but the but if but for them to come out and blatantly state something that's not true factually and present it as fact, that bothers me. But haven't they done that the whole time? Well, I'm just but it just bothers me. Twenty of you know murder, when they me. really couldn't prove that he committed the murders. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they've done it the whole time. All they had really was a girl. Well, I won't say a girl. She was twenty one year old woman stating giving statements that she was recanting as fast as she was giving them. And not only that, she was also giving statements referring to things that were just written in newspapers. Right, and so changing her story as the, as the story progressed. Yeah, you can't submit that into yeah. evidence because it, that's... And everybody has always said that the reason they never charged Sweeney was because they couldn't force... Peggy to testify against him because he was because she was his wife and you know you you can't force somebody under Texas law which is that way in a lot of states to testify against their spouse but that's not the reason he wasn't charged they didn't charge him because they had no evidence right that's that's exactly the reason you have enough evidence against somebody that you know they're going to get convicted it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter whether their family testifies or not you're going to get that conviction they had squat they didn't have anything the DA would have never brought charges against him. Right, so let's get back to duty. Duty. <laughs> now, the fact that Tennyson knew some of the victims and could have encountered them on the nights of the attacks due to his job at the Paramount Theater. So I think that's important. So let's, I want to go through the attacks and how Tennyson either knew the victims or could have noticed them at the theater. Okay. Okay. So I got a little chart here. Oh, we've made a chart. <laughs> We're getting technical. Now, as far as Jimmy Hollis and Mary Mary Jean Leary, that was the first first attacks where the two survived, right? Now, Hollis and Leary went to see the movie The Three Strangers at the Paramount Theater on the night of February 22, 1946. Okay. Now, H.B. Tennyson was an usher at the Paramount Theater. Now, Leary lived at East Hook Courts because her father worked at the Red River Arsenal, 
Now, HB's sister also worked at the Red River Arsenal. Now, that needs to be a coincidence. It may not be anything. But, right. you know, I mean, they may have seen each other. They may not have. But it's it's a way, to me, that he might have come in contact with the victims. Yeah. Because he worked at the, the same theater that they went to see the movie at. Now, I can't tell you he was working that night, but. He that might. could have been found out if somebody had bothered to investigate it. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I mean, because it was what only two, three years since it was the two. Yeah, it was, this was so forty-eight. Because you have to keep employee records for ten years. I so think they, they still had them. Yeah, if, <laughs> I, I doubt they have them now. Not now, but at forty-eight, they did. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's it it could have been found out, and it may be something that the police do know, and we don't know. I've got the a feeling Fayetteville, that they didn't the, even look at it, though, because well, they didn't take it seriously. Unless the Fayetteville police at, hadn't investigated it. Now, that's it, true. They or they have, could have called them and said, we need to know if this guy was working on these dates. Right. Or what his work hours were during this month or this right. month or this week. But that also may be something that they're just not... Telling? Telling. I just had a feeling that it didn't get that far Because the really, really, the Fayetteville police... Sheriff's Department's really not investigating a murder. Right. They're I mean, they still could have called and found out. Right. But it's really not their turf. Right. So, now for Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore. Um, Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore, they went to see the movie Snafu. At Snafu. <laughs> the Midnight Movie at the Paramount Theater the evening on March 23rd, 1946. Again, H.B. Tennyson was an usher at the Paramount Theater. Now, Richard Griffin lived at the Robeson Courts, where H.B. is known to have spent time babysitting his sister's children, because his sister also lived in Robeson Courts. Okay. Now, Moore is known to have worked at the Red River Arsenal, which, again, is where H.B.'s sister worked. So, I mean, it it may not mean anything. Six ways of separation (laughs) from the Phantom Killer. (laughs) It may not mean anything, but I'm just saying that in a city... Of 50,000 people. Which is really not a lot. Really not, but, I mean, for that time, that was a pretty big city. I mean, I just think that, you know, for, it's just coincidences. And it may just be that, coincidences. But, but it's still a way that he saw these people. He may have seen he them may have and come, be like. Not, may have come in contact with them, may not have known them, but came in contact with right. them at some point. right. So, Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin. Paul Martin went to see the movie Black Market Babies at the Paramount Theater on the evening of April 13, 1946. Because remember, he went to the movies earlier with his friend and his date before he went to pick up Betty Jo. Why are you gonna make what? I'm. I'm why are you gonna make a movie titled that? Black Market Babies. Wow. Somebody was selling some babies for real. So. Again, I don't have to say again that Duty Tennyson works sure <laughs> at the Paramount Theater. Apparently, you do. I just think that it's a it's weird that all of these people went to I, the Paramount I, I, Theater I, look, the night they were killed. It's getting to, it's getting to the point. This is no longer a coincidence. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Okay, that's all we're saying. <laughs> he worked there. They came there. They were in contact with each other. They didn't know each other. But they were in contact. They were with all each there. Other. They, they were all they were there. They were killed. The, they were killed, which leaves leads me to believe <laughs> that I ain't saying that I'm just saying duty, that it might have something to do with 
how it's a connection. Let's that, put it that way. It, it At the very least, it's a connection. That since he confessed to these murders, <laughs> that he was probably working those yeah. nights. And every three weeks, it's because he couldn't get time off to do anymore. So it was every three weeks <laughs> that he got time off. So that's why the three-week interval come in. Yeah. Now, before she moved to Texas, to the Texas side of Texarkana, Betty Joe and H.B. were in the marching band at Arkansas High together. And even if they had not been friends, given the relatively small size of the band, there's no reason to question well, that H.B. knew Betty Joe. Well, I'm sorry. And like I it, said, her mom even said that she knew him. Okay, stop, because even if it's a large band, mm-hmm. you're in practice right. for hours and hours. Yeah. And there's no way you're not going to at least... You may not be best friends with them, but you're going to know them. Right. Exactly. So. Now, as far as Katie and Virgil Starks. Now, this one's kind of complicated to keep up, okay? Oh, God. Here we go. It's not complicated. My brain is slow tonight, so. (laughs) But trust me, it all ties in. Now, Katie's sister, she lived at 414 Hickory Street in Texarkana, Texarkana, Arkansas. Oh, see, you almost almost made a lot of people mad. I'm sorry, guys. My apologies. So, Virgil and Katie Starks, of course, would visit her sister's house frequently. And an estimated frequency of about once per week. And okay. that that's comes from somebody who lived in under the same roof as Katie's sister. Okay. Now, HB lived at 9, I'm sorry, 602 Hickory Street, which has been renamed 600 Hickory Street. But HB had very few friends. So, I mean, he wasn't out a lot, right? right. Now, after HB's death, Publicized accounts reveal evidence for only two non-family friends from Duty's teenage peer group. So there was two people that he hung around with that weren't family members. Okay. Okay. Don Wood and James G. Freeman. Okay. Now Don Wood lived under the same roof as Katie's sister. James G. Freeman lived directly next door to Katie's sister at 406 Hickory Street. Okay. Katie's sister's husband worked at the Tennyson Brothers factory before he joined the Navy during World War II, which starting at age 12, H.B. worked in that same factory during the summers. Okay? And after she, even after she recovered in the hospital, Katie went to live at 414 Hickory Street. So... He's got two different connections to Katie's sister's house, which we know Katie and Virgil were there a lot. Well, that's her sister. And those are where his two best friends, you know, are. Right. One under the same roof. Right. So, there's no way he didn't know them is what I'm saying. No, he knew them. So, that's... I know it was a complicated way for me to get around to it, but I needed to... (laughs) The Go simple through. version. Well, the simple version is... His friend lived there. He went and hung out with his friend, so he knew these people. There you go. See how easy that was? Well, I just... <laughs> I've been accused a lot of times of going into too much detail, but... I just no, thought that it's fine, but I, I just, just thought it was to... important to understand who was who and right, how right. he would... No, have, no, I get There's no you... way he didn't know them. I get why you did what you did, but I'm just trying to simplify it for everybody listening. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Love you. Now, and <laughs> anyway, so that's the short version. That's how. Those are the reasons and the and the ways that I think that he 
either knew the victims or could have come in contact with the victims on the night they were attacked. Well, it's, a, it's funny to me how he confessed to four, three of these murders because I keep saying four. But well, he tried. He, he said attacked. that he tried. He said that he had tried to get. Well, I know, Katie. but I mean, he didn't. So it was actually only three murders but he and did one try. attempt, one attempted murder. But it's just amazing to me. Okay, those two, he saw them all the time because he went to visit his best mm-hmm. friend. The other ones and everybody else were at that theater that he just so happened to work right. at on the night that they were killed. That's more than coincidence. Yeah, now, I can't say for sure 100% that now, he was there working those nights. And like I said, though, if they'd have really investigated it, it could right. have been Right, but I out. find it, it's a strange coincidence that they all have that in common. That's something that they all did those nights. But It was the Paramount Theater. That's that has become more than a coincidence. Yeah. Now, I I, <laughs> I don't want to jump to conclusions. I'm not saying he killed him, <laughs> but he did. He did. <laughs> That's what he said. I mean, he said exactly. <laughs> he said it himself. So I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying he um, killed him. I ain't saying. I'm just saying. Now the the. The time during which all these murders occurred, that was also a time of great stress for H.B. and his family because that was around the same time that his parents had divorced and his mother was having a harder time supporting her and her children. And they were not living in the manner that they had been accustomed to and it was putting a strain on everyone in the family. Okay. So that may be a stressor or something that caused him. I'm just just putting it out there. Or he could just be a maniac. Well, I mean, he could be. I'm just saying. Now, after the culmination of all the reported findings in the, of the 1948 investigation of duty suicide, <laughs> Colonel Homer Garrison, who was duty's ch- dead, <laughs> duty is dead. Colonel Homer Garrison, who was the chief of the Texas Rangers and director of the Texas Wait, Department. Wait, where, where's Lone Wolf? He's gone. He's gone. Should Cal- he be investigating this so he can talk to more reporters? I think, oh, he would have loved that suicide scene. Yeah. He'd have brought him in there with the bodies. I know, right? Um, a freak. I was going to say he's in California this time, but I think I don't think he took off to California until fifty one. So, but Homer Garrison, he got a movie deal. He was. Uh, we'll talk about that after uh-huh. a while. Now, he was chief of the Texas Rangers and director of the Texas Department of Public Safety. Safety. (laughs) Safety. He was safety. He was safety. (laughs) He said, quote, of duty, he has not been completely eliminated as a suspect. That was what he said. Safety duty. Yeah. He was. (laughs) The safety duty conversation. (laughs) Talking about. I don't know. I told you I'm tired. Just stop talking for a minute (laughs) so I can get through this. So, so the director of public safety said he has not been completely eliminated as a suspect. That was the at the end of the investigation in 1948. Okay, okay. after they had investigated everything they could investigate on this suicide. Apparently not, because they don't know if he was working the nights of the murder well, or not. He said, you know, okay, I've already said that. I'm sorry. Now, what I want to say is since that time that Homer Garrison made this comment, no additional evidence has been found that would make that statement untrue today. Nothing, so... In other words, not no additional information has been found that points to duty making a false confession. It, what because we have he now, them. 
the information they had at that time is still the information that we have. And at that time, Colonel Garrison stated that he could not be eliminated as a suspect. Well, it's going to be hard to find any more evidence because duty's dead. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that duty can't. If kill. that's what he thought then, oh, yeah. then there's no reason for us not to think that now. He that killed was my point. I mean, it's too much of a co. I'm sorry. It is too much of a coincidence that every single one of those couples, with besides the Starks, mm-hmm. now, granted, Betty Joe didn't go to the movies that night, but he knew. But her. Paul Martin did, and he knew her. Right. So, I'm just saying. She was in his band. Maybe she was a bitch to him. The day before. <laughs> I mean, no. I, I mean, it was a what Friday night or yeah. something like that. She was probably a bitch. During well, now, they were, were they were not in the band together anymore because, remember, she had moved oh, from the right. Arkansas side Well, to maybe the, the last side. day she was there. <laughs> you know. You don't know. She, he asked her for a date, and she turned him down. It could be something as simple off. as that. You know, you don't know. I mean, crazy people would do crazy Now, things. I will say that there are have been comments made by some of H.B. Tennyson's family members that there that there were suspicions that he was homosexual. Maybe and, she was making fun of him. Well, I don't. I mean, it wasn't that he was out or anything, but they just kind of got the feeling that he might have been homosexual because he didn't have a girlfriend. And remember that he did not supposedly he didn't rape the the women, and he raped the one girl with the gun barrel. Maybe it was you know some kind of wishing that he wasn't the way he was thing. I don't know. That's just me guess that's just me throwing i think some, he's just nuts that's just me throwing some erroneous information yeah that just stop <laughs> just stop because that's i me, think that's me throwing erroneous unsubstantiated information out into the public i don't think that has any, I, I, yeah don't just stop now some reasons not to suspect hb tennyson as how can you not have well i'm about to tell you how okay now, none of Tennyson's fingerprints matched those found at any of the crime scenes. He wore gloves. Simple. However, as we know, these crime scenes were not handled, you know, to ex- what Everybody we would call properly. Everybody in town's fingerprints <laughs> are probably at those crime scenes. And it cannot be proven beyond doubt that the fingerprints collected actually belonged to the killer. In my opinion, they well, can't, you cannot again, prove that. Because no, of the because way the crime got, scenes were handled. Because there's so many fingerprints right. around, you can't distinguish one from the other right. that one of them could, this, this guy over here could be the killer. And I think the main ones they are looking at was Paul, the ones that, the Paul Martin murder, Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker, because remember I told you there was those fingerprints on the steering wheel that they could not identify. They weren't Paul's, they weren't Paul's brothers. So they didn't know who they belonged to. So but, they had just assumed that it be- they belonged to the killer who had driven the car. Well, and they probably did, but did they compare them to Sweeney's fingerprints? Yes, and they did not match. Well, then guess what? <laughs> it wasn't Sweeney. <gasps> it may not have been um, H.B. Tennyson either. I mean, I can't sit here and tell you that those, who's, that those fingerprints were from the killer. Or it could have been, been from somebody who was moving the car. You know? They could have been some bystander that sat down in the car where people were killed just to get a picture or something. I mean, you don't know is my point. I mean, because we had no, even I'm the... not saying that, but I would lean more towards if they tested them against Sweeney's fingerprints, mm-hmm. and this guy had contact with pretty much had contact with every single one of these victims. Mm-hmm. I would have to lean more towards him. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying because none of the fingerprints matched either one of them anyway. 
Right. His Which is the point you're making. His circumstantial evidence is a lot stronger than Sweeney's oh, absolutely. circumstantial evidence. I mean, yeah. I mean. <laughs> a lot stronger. I would actually try to go to court on the circumstantial evidence. I mean, evidence. you know, I mean, it's much stronger. Okay, so there's also another reason. And that is James Freeman, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, was one of was a friend of HB. He was a 16-year-old friend of Tennyson from Texarkana. He came forward on Sunday, November 7th, and spoke to a deputy prosecutor named Robert E. Hall after hearing that Tennyson had confessed to being the Phantom. Freeman explained that on the night of Virgil Stark's death, that he and Tennyson were together at Tennyson's house playing cards or checkers between 7 p.m. and midnight that night. He said that that night they both heard the news of the Stark's death. Now, what I'm going to say here, I mean, so he he's given Tennyson an alibi for this night of the Stark's murders. But what I'm going to say is what I find strange about this. I find it odd that he went to a prosecutor yeah. instead of to the police. police. A prosecutor who just happened to be a close high school friend of Duty's older brother, Craig. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted and to point that guess, out because I me, think it's strange. And let me guess, didn't have anything to do with this case. <laughs> no. See? <laughs> All of that is a lie. He was just a deputy, one of the deputy prosecutors in the prosecution, prosecutor's office. Okay, so see, all of that is a lie. He's just trying to get the word around. No, just, this guy. Now, I'm not saying anything one way or the other, but I just think it's strange. Also, James Freeman would later in life have a history of drug abuse and inappropriate behavior towards females. He had two family members who claimed that he molested them. I can't say if that's true or not. I'm just saying what they said. He married a woman, but was the marriage only lasted six weeks. He never yeah, married. Something's not right there if your marriage only lasts six weeks. He never married again, and he spent the rest of his life living at his mother's house. And according to family members, he spent large amounts of time alone in a back room. He would end up committing suicide. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that this. I just bring all this stuff up because. You know, people are saying that want to believe Freeman over Tennyson because really it's a he said he said thing. Because and, and they're true, saying but... there's been people that said, well, Tennyson can't. I mean, of course he was lying. I mean, he was he was messed up in the head. He, well, so was this guy. Well, that's my point. That was my point. And and Tennyson actually wrote a letter knowing that the police were going to find it. Yeah. So in a way, he did go to the police and confess. This guy. Didn't even have the balls to go to the police because he, he knew. He just went to first what, what, what is essentially a family friend. Yeah. And said, hey. So, I mean, maybe he was giving himself an alibi by giving HB an alibi. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that no one's left that can refute this, his claims. So, even if he's saying that, there's, there was nobody at that time that could say no. They weren't there. I would, I'm sorry, <laughs> guy, I'm sorry. But somebody who's contemplating killing themselves because they feel like that they have put their family through mo too much trouble, I do not see them sitting there lying about killing three people. Yeah, and I especially I mean, since he went through the whole trouble of hiding that note. Right. I don't think that, I, honestly, in my opinion, I don't think he meant for police. I don't think he meant for his family to read that note. I mean, think that about, was addressed directly to his family. 
You've got to sit there and think about the mindset of this individual when this note was written. He's leaving a, a note talking about how hard of a time he's put his family through, and he's sorry, and they'd be better off without him. And I just, this just popped in my head, too, because he, you know, we were talking about that he only mentions the Paul Martin, Betty Jo Booker, and the Starks attacks. And that may be because he knew those, He those are the ones he knew. knew. He knew Betty Jo Booker really, you know, he knew her. He knew the right. Starks. right. So maybe though that maybe, maybe that's where know. maybe that's where he was feeling the most guilty was because he did know them. Right. You know, maybe the other ones he just saw. The other ones he didn't know, probably didn't even know their names till they were out in the paper. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just saying just, that, that could be a reason for and him. And a lot of killers will do that. If they kill somebody that they know, if they confess, those are the names they're gonna confess. I mean, I don't know about that, but I'm just saying it could be a reason. Now, Tennyson's brothers, J.D. Jr. and Craig, they said that the confession and suicide were, quote, fantastic things induced by reading too many comic books. So, uh, (laughs) they're saying that he kind of lived in a fantasy world. Okay, but the suicide's not a fantasy. No, he he did that. Duty's dead. Duty's Duty's dead. They both stated that he did not know guns and did not care for weapons, hunting, or shooting. However, with my own eyes, I've seen pictures that there are duty when he was about probably 13, 14 years old holding a twenty-two rifle. And I'll put those pigs on line. Why are y'all lying? <laughs> Damn it. Quit lying. There are also witnesses that say he would go with family when he was younger and shoot at targets at a farm owned by a man named Henry Green Barnes. Okay, but he didn't have anything to do with guns. Mm-mm. Why y'all lying? I don't know. Why y'all trying to say this boy because confessed? Because I think that they just don't, I think that they don't want him to, to be considered a suspect. Because you wouldn't want your brother to be well, considered a suspect yeah, in no, killing people. I wouldn't want them to be considered a suspect, but if they killed him, then they killed him. Well, and I mean, they, deserve- they may very well believe all that they're saying. Maybe they didn't know their, maybe, maybe it's a case that they don't know him as well as they think they do. You know? When he was 10 years old? Weren't they in the house? Well, I'm just saying that, you know, that there's things that, you know, you think you know somebody. I mean, you got all these killers, people, serial killers. What did their families always say? Well, I had no idea. So my point is, maybe they just didn't, maybe if he is guilty, they didn't want to see that he had problems. Or they, he was good at hiding them. I'm not I'm talking about that. I mean, I can see somebody not understanding that they were a serial killer because there's a lot of family members like that. But what they stated was is he had never really been around guns. But well, they said that he to, didn't like guns. But you're, but you're stating that there's pictures. <laughs> there is a picture of him holding a 22. And then you've got it's other It's a Winchester 22 rifle, as a matter of other, fact. That the other people witnesses have said oh they would go out there and do target practice all the time (laughs) that's what i'm talking about quit lying now a ballistics expert from little rock revealed that the cartridge cases of the test bullets fired from the rifles tennyson would have had access to were nothing like the cases of the bullets found at the starks home because those were pistols and those are rifles. No, remember we don't know that if they never could con- determine for sure if they were shot with a pistol or a rifle. However, I'm going to post a video on. I think I may have already put it on our Patreon. Question. 
that there is a man who happens to be the same person who lived in the house with in the same under the same roof as Katie Stark's sister, who says that Katie said that she was shot with a rifle. Okay, she's that's what he said. She said so. I, she's dead today. She's passed on now, so there's no way to verify that. But that's what he said. She said. <laughs> Are we talking about 22 rifles, or what are we talking about? Remember, the Starks were shot with the 22 rifle. Okay. The other ones were with a 32 pistol, automatic. Okay. So how are we not figuring out if it was a pistol or a rifle? It's talking about the Starks, because, because the Starks did not... The bullets found at the Starks, they could not they could not determine for sure if it was a 20... They were fired from a rifle or a pistol. There are not too many twenty two revolvers that will shoot a long That wasn't cartridge. a long shot. But I mean they didn't I don't even think they knew if they were longer shorts. Because they they were so messed wow. up. You but don't remember us talking about this? No, I remember us talking about this, but even back then they could have people who could like study the bullets and figure it out. I don't well But then again, these are the same people who don't want to believe a dead man's confession, so they didn't investigate it. And what so. I found, there was it's never been determined positively if she was if they were shot with a rifle. Or well, not. I would think that the woman who was shot. Uh, but what I'm saying is that has never been released by any police anywhere. I've never heard it said been said anywhere by anybody else other than this little old man in an interview that John Tennyson did. Why would he lie, though? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that he's lying. I'm just saying that that's what he had heard. So, I don't know. I don't... I'm telling you that that's the only place I've heard it, and I can't verify it anywhere else. That's all I'm saying. I, I have to believe the little old man. So, you believe what you believe. I'm just saying I'm putting it out there, but I have to quantify it by saying that I've not been able to verify that because I'm putting in stuff out there that's supposed to be facts, and I can't state for 100% sure that's a fact. Because I don't have verification of it. That's what I'm saying. Well, then... <laughs> That's all that I'm saying. That your sentence that you just said made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Listen to... Yeah. What I'm saying is that you I told told a podcast that I'm supposed to be telling facts about. Right, and then you just talked, and then you just said something, and then said... However, I can't state that that's a fact. I can't so if state you're that's telling a fact. facts, why? I said I'm supposed to be telling facts. That's why I have to quantify that statement about the rifle by saying that I can't verify that anywhere else. So don't take that as a fact. Just take that as something that I've heard. So I'm telling you that that's not a fact. Shut. Let's just move on. This is this, we, this is going too long. So, in 2013, a relative of Duty claimed that all ballistics testing from these available guns was irrelevant because those were most likely not the guns that Duty used, especially if the real guns were disassembled and hidden, as he had stated in his note. So, this relative believed that Duty had access to guns that were not known to the rest of the family, it sounds like. Huh. Maybe this relative knew him better than everybody else. I said maybe. I don't know. Furthermore... Craig said that he had not taught Tennyson how to drive a car until the summer of 1947. Well, I mean, any teenager, anybody can get in a car and drive it for, I mean, a little bit. I mean, come on, it's honestly, people, y'all make it look hard, but driving a car is not that hard. Yeah, I mean, now we don't know. Now I will say we don't know for 100 percent sure that the killer was driving. 
Now, I think that we have to assume that he was, given the locations of the attacks, especially right. given that the car, especially because of the car that Tackett and Boyd said they spotted the night of the yeah, Starks murder. Yeah. So I think that we have to assume that, yes, he probably was driving. So, I mean, if you believe Craig, then Duty wouldn't have known how to drive a car and therefore more than likely couldn't be the killer. But we can't prove that, so who knows? I'm Again. just putting it out there as a reason that we, you know, that points to him not being the phantom killer. None of those points, none of those really point to him not being the phantom killer. That just points that he couldn't drive a car. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it, but, but in my opinion, I would think that whoever is guilty had to have known how to drive a car is my point but just because somebody didn't teach him doesn't mean officially he <laughs> teach him how to drive a car until a year later doesn't mean he did not know how to drive a car so my question to you is with all the information that you've gotten do you think duty is a more viable suspect or that your sweeney's a more viable suspect? you would have to go with duty because he's the only one that can be placed at some point on the night of the murders with each victim well, he can't be placed with them. It's just very coincidental in the same, that he worked. In the, well, not necessarily with them, but in the same spot at some point in the same place where they were at. We don't know that he was there. I'm just, I'm, I know what you're saying, but I just have to quantify. We don't know 100% sure that he was there. It's just a big coincidence that they all went to the place that he worked at he, I can, on the nights I can that get, they murdered. I can get, he, was murdered. Either, he was either there working or he was there watching a movie. Maybe. Because it sounds like that was the only thing to do in that town besides <laughs> kill people. That and go to a, an all-night cafe. Or steal cars. <laughs> so, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to do. You could either go to a movie, <laughs> go to a cafe, steal cars, or kill people. Yeah. So, just some other events that happened in subsequent years. On the night of October 8, 1946, an unknown gunman shot and killed another couple, Lawrence Hogan and Elaine Eldridge, while they were parked on a quiet lane in Donia Beach, Florida, which is near Fort Lauderdale. The weapon was found to be a 32 automatic, just as was used in the Texarkana killings. Okay. And again, do you think with the scheme to make a profit, they might have made more than one? <laughs> However, the weapon used turned out to be a Savage 32 and not a Colt 32. So a lot of people put a lot on this shooting, this killing in Florida, saying it's tied, but it's not. It's not the same gun. Unless he changed guns, which is very possible, because he even changed guns in Texarkana. So I'm not saying it's not possible. I mean, it's a Lover's Lane shooting with a 32. So well, I that's mean, what it is. Yeah, okay. It, and... I get that, and there's a lot of similarities to it. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. do you, the Lover's Lane killing, do you know why there was a lot of people killed when they were out parking? Because they're in an isolated right. area with nowhere around. 90% of them have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> right. Now, in January of 1949, a 26-year-old black man was arrested in relation to a violent double murder and soon was a suspect in the Texarkana murders. Oh, so he's a suspect, but the guy who confessed is not? <laughs> wow. Well, let me tell you why this guy is. I, I, first of all, I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked, and I could not find this guy's name for anything. So I it's apologize the unknown, for that. It's the it's, unknown killer. Now, this man... That's why they call him the phantom killer. That's right. He has no name. He's unknown. Now, this man had been arrested for killing a young black couple in Waco, Texas, and in the execution of that crime, he sexually assaulted the female victim. 
It's reported that he confessed to the murders and gave details that confirmed he was the killer. However, during the investigation, police discovered this man had worked for Virgil Starks and he was actually living on the Starks property when the crime was committed. You remember me telling you about those houses that were in the back of the house, behind their house? But, okay, but Mrs. Stark survived. Wouldn't she, I mean... She never saw the guy. When he climbed through the window? She saw his his leg and his knee, remember? But I think she would have kind of recognized, I mean... <laughs> she recognized a knee? Well, yeah, why not? I mean, you see these people every day. I mean, now, think about it. You now, know their stature. You know how they move. I mean, because you're what? I mean, they're there every day. I don't know. I'm just putting this out there because it it happens. So of course, people are like, well, damn. We got guy, three murderers this in this This guy case. could be the guy, you know. But but no charges were ever filed against this man for the Texarkana murders. Now, he was eventually given a life sentence for the other crimes that he had confessed to. Because you can't you can't bring someone to trial just because they killed two people and happened to live on the property of somebody <laughs> else that was killed at the time that they were killed. Doesn't work that way. Yeah. So that's just some other things that came up in, you know, the years after... Um, Wow. That came up in the years after these people. The murders. So, what kills me is they were all gung ho to investigate him for the murders, but not the guy that confessed. Wow. I don't know. I don't get that either. I don't know what it was about that. That I mean, because that letter does not state. I mean, they were just so hung up on the fact that that letter just totally because omitted what he was the, saying he omitted the disregarded the confession that's no, what that's said. not what, but the that's not what he said. said it said disregard and what it was talking about was the reasons he was killing himself yeah so i want to read because back um we're going to go backwards a little bit and bring this back up on may the 3rd 1946 during the investig the original investigation uh-huh lone wolf gonzalez oh jesus he received a handwritten anonymous letter at the police station one day. Was it the Zodiac? <laughs> I'm having microphone trouble. Hit, it's hitting her boobs It's again. like the microphone keeps pulling back. Okay. Now, I'm going to try to read this, these letters, but they are kind of, there's a lot of, You'll see what I'm talking about. But I want to read them because I want to point something out. Okay. Now, so this first, it says, Soon as read, no time to lose, for lives are in danger. And then there's a half line that's deleted by the FBI. It's redacted. Can't see it. Well, there's something in that they right. don't want everybody to know. The writer would like to meet you personally, but every movement is being watched on account thinking writer overheard conversation or least portion of it. Wish you would never give me away ever if you knew as my life would not be worth any more to these parties than was of those lately murdered. <laughs> Again, it's hard to read, but just bear with me. Please believe this. Gun of German make using 45 or 38 caliber was borrowed recently for more trouble. So watch this week for something or later. They said they had gotten gun. They had gotten by with so much. Then there's another redacted line that I think is a name. 
says blank is carrier of gun gotten from and then there's two the lines deleted they said had 40 or 50 to cover up for alibis if ever questioned blank said like first girl murdered well enough no one else not to have her did not mention last couple blank is clever and cunning gotten by with stealing and raping and has plenty to help him as he did in law on arkansas side said blank was carrying gun for own protection and would have good alibi as of, of march 24th this is true and hope you will see into this as are getting heavier are getting braver please burn this even the true writer would be killed if ever known this is valuable to you shake him down but please burn writer will not sign name as want to live okay so this is a letter <laughs> now on june i want to go through these because i'm going to point something out and you'll see in a minute but june 25th 1946 gonzalez received another letter some time ago you were written a letter concerning three different parties addressed to you at texas police station and whether you got it or not is not known sometimes letters written like this seem to be maybe to you people not too much importance but to others possibly would mean their life this letter referred to was written in time before the starks murder and you were given three names and this is another note or letter written in behalf of lives of people who care to live but cannot come to you trusting trusting you are not favoring a certain arkansas lawman or his friend which is not written in any way shape or manner as an accusation of any kind with reference to our laws or you if you will do some questioning think you will have something as to what we need in this town is cooperation and no payoff talk getting might big and and brave and time getting ripe so get busy and watch these people trust you will keep this confidential as you said you would in the newspaper is not written with spirit of rallying rallying things up but with all good intention to help protect the lives of not only one person but possibly many if you will check blue two door sedan without top you of it had been the findings no doubt would have been an advantage to you this sedan belongs to boy not over 24 north of texarkana arkansas has been washed and rewashed and had two friends to help him and gun was returned to one of them keep that confidential confidential as it means the lives of more than one i'm glad this was so confidential that <laughs> right. you could get a hold of them well i mean these are printed years afterwards but so then there was a third letter received okay and on this letter it says as some people have hobbies i have one looking at different license number especially state licenses and have tried to find you in or on the phone and am told you were out and wish you would keep this confidential while traveling out highway toward little rock noticed car park near railroad track and it backed out since then learned car at the night mr starks was murdered was parked close to railroad tracks road were told and then there's some kind of there's it's stuff redacted 
went across to sister's house, which I can only assume that redacted part is mentioning Katie Starks, to sister's house and this car number, blank, 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 and saw it since on trips to Texarkana, but just recently learned the car man or woman used was part their reason for not letting you know sooner. Man and only one man occupied car, and this car turned in road close to Martindale Farm. Hope this helps you some. Okay, so these letters. <laughs> First of all, must be written by. It's written by the five-year-old that turned. <laughs> it's, it's like, hey, I saw a dude parked in a car. So apparently, the first letter it seems that he's telling him that he heard he overheard somebody confessing to the murders. Right? It's the gist of the first letter. If you say so. <laughs> From what I can gather, that he knows who it is and that they're, they've gotten hold of a 45 or a 38 caliber gun and they're going to be causing more trouble and for them to be on the lookout because he overheard them talking to somebody. Okay. That's the gist of the first letter. Okay. The gist of the second letter, from what I can tell, <laughs> is that he was telling them, hey, I wrote you this letter warning you about this. Before the Starks were murdered, you didn't do anything about it. So now the Starks were murdered, so that's your fault now because you didn't listen to me. Well, first of all, there's nothing in there that he said anything that would make anybody think that that was going to happen. Because he even mentions a thirty-eight caliber or forty-five caliber. So I don't know. Uh, now the third letter, as you just... Maybe they just couldn't decipher the code. <laughs> it's written in code. Is that what it is? Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, so. Like, I don't What know. I want to point out. This Gibberish, is, maybe? Yeah, so this third letter, he's saying that, hey, I saw in the paper that there was this car parked outside the Starks residence the night of their murders. Well, I saw this car, too, sitting there sometimes. So that's what he's saying there. Now, what I want to point out, because on December the 13th, 1946, a letter arrived at the home of Clark Brown, who, if you'll remember, is the stepfather of Betty Jo Booker. Okay. Now, this letter was typed, okay? Okay. But what I want to point out here, I'm going to start reading this, and let's see if you can tell the difference. It says, Mr. Brown, this is addressed to you personally and is only to help you and Mrs. Brown. The following information is confidential, and if you do not have use for it, burn it up immediately. Cannot come to either of you personally. This car number and and parties was seen by a young girl who does not and will not come to you on account of fear and for her sake. If not used, please burn. Information was given to both laws here and another authority, so be careful and for your benefit and success in this use higher authorities. And that is why I protected Keep this information close and sorry cannot sign and see you please burn if of no value, but it is if you only knew it. Be careful and if used, try higher authorities and please do not question this at all. This is only given for your sakes and nothing. Want it or ask only success if used. Many kind thoughts for both of you and use confidential. Now, what I wanted to point out, okay, you know, did you realize in those first three letters, it's pretty much just, there's not complete sentences. No, there's not. It's just, it sounds like gibberish. Yeah. Now, what I want to point out is on this, the beginning of this letter to Mr. Brown, it's very coherent. Yeah. It's written in sentences. And then the writer goes in, back into 
the gibberish. Right. It's like he realizes halfway through typing the letter that he's not using the same cadence as he did in the first three letters. Oh, shit. It's what it looks, it's what it sounds like to me. What, I, do you, what say you, ma'am? I think it's crazy. <laughs> Would you give like a real opinion? <laughs> That's your answer to everything I well, ask you. They're all you. crazy. Um, but it, 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 he's using gibberish when he's giving it to Lone Wolf. Right. It could be because he don't like Lone Wolf like everybody else. But anyway, it also could be that that's a law enforcement officer. When he types it to these parents of this person, he's trying in the first part of it to show some kind of respect when he starts off. So that's your take on I it. I mean, if you stop and think about it. Maybe. I mean, when I first saw this and read these letters in sequential order, the first thought I had was, he's typing this letter. Maybe you're right. Maybe he is trying to show respect. But my point is, if he can, why didn't he continue doing that through the whole letter? Because maybe he just didn't want to give... Maybe he just wanted to give hints, and that way they could, like, form their own, so maybe they wouldn't come... Ask people. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Now, um, Mr. Clark Brown also received another letter. It says, as a follow-up of letter written to you some few days ago, the car license number given you was right, and this car has recently been sold. Also, ask how come FBI to check block at redacted some time ago, and who within this was related in a manner to these people at farm. Also, how was gun transferred to not be in just one hand and is still kept going from blank with Virgil Starks just one or two hours before his death? Also, higher authorities than these here would be the ones for you to go for help. Also, both letters have been written because was told you had influence with right authorities. And please, if not used, would you be kind enough to burn when read? So, again, this is the gibberish talking. But it's clear if this is the same letter writer, which it appears that it is, because yeah. they're giving the same information over and over again. If We know that they're capable I of writing coherently because one, of the first that first letter to Clark. I think with that first letter to Clark, he was writing somebody that their loved one had been killed. So he's like, I'll start this first one off with more respect and then go into what he's probably calling or she code i don't know because it's just it just sounds it's just like just words like being i mean you can understand what he's saying but it's just like a bunch of run-on sentences and it's not coherent my question to you is do you think this is from the killer it could be or do you think that it's just somebody that thinks they're helping I, I think it could be from the killer, and that's why he's covering up, covering his, up the way he talks. The way he talks, but I think in that first letter to the Clarks, he tried to show him a little bit of respect, but then went back into his code because he didn't. He's given hints, but he's not really giving anything away. Yeah, why would if he's the killer? Why would he care about showing respect to the people that he whose daughter he killed? remorse i mean i don't know i just found those letters weird and i found it the one thing i did find strange was him using the coherent sentences in that fourth letter to mr clark but then going right back into the gibberish like it's like oh shit i forgot that i'm supposed to be writing like this 
and maybe you're right. Maybe it was just to show respect, and then he continued with the way that he had been writing those letters. Now, I don't know who in the hell wrote these letters. They that's don't know I who wrote these or, letters. That's why I said he or she, because we don't know. But they were letters written to law enforcement and to family members. And they were, I mean, it may, I don't know, they were written anonymously. And my point is, if, and he says it was because his life was in danger, if it was a he or she or whatever, is the reason that he wouldn't give his name. Well, if he killed all them people and they found out his <laughs> life would be in danger. So. But, I mean, I just, my point is. I'm not is, saying that it was the killer that wrote them, but, I mean, I'm just saying that. My point is, if you're. If you're in danger, you feel you're in, I mean, I don't know. I just, I find them weird. I find those letters odd. First of all, for the way they're written. Second of all, for the information that they're trying to convey that has, seems to have nothing to do with anything that happened. And it's like, anytime he's, it's like he's, even in the Starks murder, as soon as that newspaper report comes out about the car, he immediately writes a letter saying, oh, I saw that car. Is it like some nut job just wanting to, you know, put themselves in the investigation by, you know, but if, if, if that's the case and they want to be recognized, why are they not giving their name? You know, I just, it's just weird to me. I can't explain those letters. I don't know if it's somebody really thinking they're helping and, you know, maybe it's somebody, you know, with, you know, a mental disability or something could thinking be. they are helping. It could be. You know, I don't know, but I did just want to point out that letters were written because of what we're about to talk about <laughs> okay so i got a question for you All right. were the phantom and zodiac the same man no because <laughs> the zodiac would write in complete sentences yeah but maybe he changed his the way he was writing and so, plus the zodiac was when in the 60s well i'm about let me i'm about to go over it so between 1968 and 1969, a serial killer named Zodiac emerged from the San Francisco Bay Area where he hunted victims in isolated areas such as Lover's Lanes, which we actually did a four-part series on the Zodiac Killer. So if you haven't listened to that, please go do so. And it's hilarious, too. <laughs> Y'all really need it's to It's so go. funny. You really need to go listen to that. Now, the similarities to Zodiac crimes. Okay. Zodiac wrote letters to the media where here the letters were sent to Lone Wolf Gonzalez. And to Mr. Brown, were they written by the killer? We don't know. I have no clue who wrote those letters. Another um, similarity is the suspect wore a, a hood in both cases. The Zodiac in the Lake Berryessa attacks and the Phantom in the attacks on Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry. We know for sure. He could have in the other ones, but we don't have eyewitnesses, so we don't know. Suspect used a flashlight on at least one occasion to blind victims in an automobile. We okay, know, but it was dark. We know dark. that the Zodiac did that, and we know Most that the panel did that. Most people use a flashlight when it's dark, <laughs> so that's really not... In both cases, the suspect used different types of handguns. They changed the, the, the weapon they were using. The suspects attacked mainly in lovers' lanes or isolated areas and attacked couples. Victims were mainly young. And in both Vallejo and Texarkana, they were both kind of rough and tumble, blue-collar towns that had a military presence. So could it have been somebody in the military? The suspect changed M.O. Lover's Lanes, um, Zodiac went from, he went from attacking couples to attacking and murdering Paul Stein, who was a cab driver. Uh, the Phantom Killer, he went from attacking Lover's Lanes to attacking a couple in a farmhouse. 
But I think that that was just because he was out of other options. And yeah. I think the Zodiac, y'all know my, if y'all listen to our Zodiac, people that have listened to it and listened to us regularly know my opinion on the Zodiac Killer. So the fact that the M.O. was switched is not surprising to me in the Zodiac case because I don't think that the same killer killed all the people in the Zodiac cases. But it, let's just say that I do believe that and I'm looking for reasons that this could be the same person. It's so, not the same person. <laughs> I'm still going over reasons. So the suspect was labeled Phantom by the press and the Texarkana killers. In a Zodiac letter dated July 8, 1974, the Zodiac referred to himself as the Red Phantom. Oh. <laughs> that one's a stretch. Yeah, that's a stretch. <laughs> this one's an even more of a stretch. One of the attacks occurred at a park, like the Ferret attack at Blue Rock Springs. I'm going to say this again. I said it a few minutes ago. You got more to say before I say this because it may take a minute. Yeah, I got okay. some other, a couple okay. of other things. Okay, go ahead. The Zodiac was considered to possibly come from Texas because he used the phrase fiddle and fart around. Who didn't? Well, it's that's kind of that phrase originated supposedly around Lubbock, Texas. Okay, Lubbock. Which is Texas. There's a lot of, you know how big Texas is? <laughs> I'm just saying that it's Texas. <laughs> You're like in like three different states just crossing Texas, okay? Now, Katie Starks was shot through the jaw and tongue, as was Mike Majot. Oh, my God. Zodiac really? Victim. Okay, and let's. <laughs> just putting these y'all out there. Are really, <laughs> y'all are really wanting this to be the Zodiac, aren't you? These are reasons that I found that people had listed on the internet. <laughs> wow. And there were some more that I didn't even list because they were more ridiculous than those. Wow. Now, one of the glaring issues with the Zodiac and the Phantom being the same person is the timeline. Zodiac was described as being relatively relatively young. So if we assume that the Phantom was at least 18 when he committed the Texarkana <laughs> killings. In the 40s. Yeah, he would have to have been. By the 60s roll around. Yeah, he would have had to have been in at least his early 40s during the Zodiac assaults, if not older. But there were some descriptions of the Zodiac that ranged anywhere between his mid-20s no, no. to his mid-40s. Okay, if it was in 1946. <clears throat> mm-hmm. When he committed, the, the Phantom committed these murders. And it was 67 when the Zodiac started, right? 68. That's 20 years. Mm-hmm. So if he was in, if he was. I'm saying that some of them have described him as in his middle 40s. So that would be very possible that he could have committed the Texarkana murders. I'm not saying that the timeline is impossible. I'm saying that that when most people, that's the one thing that most people bring up as to why it couldn't be the same person. Because they say that the timeline doesn't matter, doesn't fit. But it's possible. It is possible that even if the Zodiac is not the Phantom, that the Zodiac was at least inspired by the Phantom. Okay, that one I'll give you. You know, I don't know. Anything's possible. I'm not going to give you any of the rest of them. (laughs) But that one I will give you. Well, I mean, I'm just saying. And if that's the case, if Duty confessed to it, there's no way he could be the Zodiac. Yeah, exactly. That was going to be my point. Unless. Unless. What? It was a, they put his brain in somebody else's body. Oh, my gosh. Or. He, or. He could have just died. The Zodiac was a ghost. Wow. 
That's why they never caught him. <laughs> That's why they can't find him. Because he's transparent. That's why there's no fingerprints. That's why there's really no facial like <laughs> Nobody can really see his face. Think about it. Well, those kids saw his face. What they said was a mustache was really the leaves on the trees behind him because he was <laughs> see-through. Just looking through him? Yeah. Ah. See, that's why they really can't find him. Oh, okay. But anyway, most, I mean, just because you've got this guy that killed somebody on Lover's Look, Lanes and in a park. I'm going, and the Zodiac did. Okay, could, could it be that they're looking for an isolated area that just so happened in those time frames people love to go out and catch up in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> could it be that, honestly, I don't believe they were the same person, but I, you can't, you cannot talk about the Texarkana killings without bringing up Zodiac. You just I can't. will, I will give you, I will give it to you that he could be a copycat. I think that maybe he, it's possible he was, yes, inspired by the phantom killing. But he is not. And it's possible that he's from Texas. Well, there's a lot of people. Have you, yeah. Again, have you seen how big that state is? Yeah. A lot of people are from there. My, but that, I'm just saying that, you know, that that doesn't mean. I, I don't think they were the same person because I don't think that one person committed all the Zodiac killings. So there's well, no way I, that I can I believe. Dis- I disagree. That, I know. That, I know you think that. I'm just but, saying that. So I, there's no way that I can you tell think, you. If you think about it, if he was inspired by the Phantom Killer, it could be that he started changing his things up because the Phantom Killer did too. True. Well, I mean, it's it's possible. Well, we're going to get these things <laughs> solved. Just give us time. <laughs> Give us the, about 20 years. Give us We're going to have while, all this figured out. And we're going to bring it back to you and say we have solved it. But anyway, it, it they can't be the same person because the guy that killed these people in Texarkana confessed. You, you So you believe without a doubt that it's 100% duty. He confessed <laughs> to it. That didn't sound right. You think that H.P. Tennyson is guilty? Yes, because he confessed to it. Nobody is going to sit there when they're in the kind of shape that they have come to the conclusion that they're about to take their life and lie about killing somebody. That's ridiculous to do that. They're not going to do it. And put that letter where their family is going to find it. The family's the only one. You know, I don't know. I don't. That's not going to happen. I will say that beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's a much more viable suspect than Yule Sweeney. Uh, I mean, 1,000%. You know, I mean, I I can't. I think it's possible. I mean, it's more possible to me that it's Tennyson than it is Sweeney. 1,000%. I mean, it's just. um, I mean, I am kind of bothered about his brother and the whole driving thing. Because in my opinion... He would have to have driven a car to commit those murders. Not necessarily, though. Well, the, the fact that they were so far out, he had to have. And plus, the cops saw it. I, I honestly believe that whoever killed, that whoever attacked the Starks was in that car by the railroad tracks. And again, I'm going to say, just because he had not ever been officially taught to drive a car doesn't mean he didn't know how well, to drive one saying, enough to get him. I'm just saying that that's one of the things that bothers me, that gives me pause. I mean, because if his family didn't know he was killing people, they're not going to know he's driving <laughs> to kill people But either. my point is, so why, would, his, why, would his, why would you need to ask your brother to show you how to drive? Maybe, I mean, maybe he didn't want them to know he could drive, yes, and he's I just like, know. because if I act like I can't drive, they'll never know it was me. 
Well, I mean, but why would he be thinking that? I mean, why would because I he don't killed know. like eight people? I just that I'm just saying that that's one of the things that gives me pause. That's all I'm saying. It doesn't make because there's a lot of things. Re- no. I, I can explain a lot of that. If I cannot explain it away, then I'm hesitant on yeah. it. But I can explain a re- explain that away. <clears throat> so that doesn't bother me. I'm hitting the microphone because I'm talking well, with my it. hands. Nobody can see you. I don't stop. care. It's just how I talk. <laughs> All right, so the legacy of the phantom, of the Texarkana phantom Turned out to be the Zodiac. (laughs) There you go. Copycat. (laughs) So in 1976, Charles B. Pierce, a native of Texarkana, made a movie called The Town That Dreaded Sundown that was based on the Moonlight Murders. And it's loosely based on on Texas Ranger Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez's investigation into the murders. And when I say loosely, I mean extremely loose. Okay? That that movie is not... I mean, it's a good movie, don't get me wrong. But it's not in any way, shape, or form Did they get Lou Diamond Phillips to play him? (laughs) If they didn't get Lou Diamond Phillips to play him, I'm not going to watch it. Well, it's 76, so no, it wouldn't be Lou Diamond Phillips. I can't watch that movie then. So, Gonzalez was actually a consultant on this film. Don't you think he would make a good long wolf? Absolutely. Oh, he's so awesome. Now, every October near Halloween, The Town That Dreaded Sundown is the last movie shown to the public during movies in the park at either Spring Lake Park or at the Southwest what Center the fuck, in Texarkana. <laughs> the free event is sponsored by the Texarkana Department of Parks and Recreation. To keep, uh, uh, why? This showing of the movie has been a tradition since 2003. So, we need to hit that up one year. That little festival. (laughs) Take a look at this horrible thing that happened in this town. Sick, sick individuals. You can't just have a memorial statue <laughs> and just put candles around it every to year. Watch this horrible film made about this hor these horrible murders that occurred in your town. But wow, and everybody shows up for it. From what I've been told, what I've heard, people don't get killed in Texarkana. <laughs> Celebrate! <laughs> Damn. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Just skip. You can skip Texarkana. There's plenty of other ways to get through Texas. You don't even have to go through there. But then, that would be awesome to go to, though. Michael, get out of there. <laughs> now, in 2007, the band The Bad Detectives recorded the song Texarkana. I wonder why they named themselves that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but they recorded the song Texarkana Moonlight, which is about the crimes. So that's something Well, now, else. that is not something, depending on how it's done, I would have to listen to it. I'm, I mean, cause oh, I'm a, sure it's very tastefully <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a lot of songs out there about about things, you know, people losing people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that. Not, I should have got a. I should have got it and played a part part of it. I didn't even think about it. I'm gonna have to listen to that. What was it called again? Texarkana Moonlight by the Bad Detectives. Again, <laughs> I know why you named yourselves that. Now, in 2010, a play called The Phantom Killer debuted in Manhattan at the Abington Theater Company's Dorothy Stileson. Theater. So it's even a play on Broadway? Yeah, it was written by Jan Bertram, who grew up in Oak Grove, a community near DeKalb. What the hell is wrong with people? (laughs) They're just like, they're proud of, they like this murder. Apparently, (laughs) a little too much. They like, I mean, it's intriguing, it's unsolved. There's a lot of them unsolved, but there's not Broadway plays made about it. Well, I mean, we're sitting here talking about it. But it's not, but we're trying to solve it. 
Well, I mean, I'm I mean, not going to sit here under the, under the delusion that I'm going to solve any of this stuff. I didn't say we were going to solve it. I said that we tr- were trying to I'm solve just it. trying to tell people about it and be, you know, light about I it. I just think that that's taking it a little too far when it goes to Broadway. It's one thing for people to talk about. Well, it wasn't on Broadway. I mean, well, it was basically. Just a the- it was, no, it wasn't. It was an off-Broadway little off theater. Off-Broadway, which is still Broadway, just not on Broadway. It's no, a it's, play. That's why it's it's a off play. Broadway because it's not on Broadway. It's, <laughs> it's off it's Broadway. It's a play about people being murdered, <laughs> and it's not like it's a fictional play. Like, you well, know, what's the difference in that and them in the town that dreaded sundown? There's no difference. I, I said they I didn't like difference. that. To ask what okay. was wrong with people. <laughs> Now, in the movie Seven Psychopaths from 2012, a short flashback segment shows a couple setting a trap for the Texarkana Moonlight Murderer. Oh, see, that would have that would have been me. <laughs> that was them people. The reason that first couple that went out after they had to be like, like on lockdown. <laughs> the very first couple. <laughs> they, that's what they were doing, and that's why they didn't get killed. Yeah. Now, in 2017, the CW series Riverdale aired episode "The Town That Dreaded Sundown," where it I mean documentaries where it referred okay. to these murders. And if the movie was done as a documentary, which oh, we was, know it which, wasn't. Now, it was done in document as a documentary style, but it was but not. Fact, it was not. There's some things it, in that movie that I'm not going to go into here, but the people that have seen it know. But it's it's. There's some stuff that's done really in really bad taste in that movie. And you but know why it was, you know why it was done that way? Because you were dealing with Lone Wolf. <laughs> I mean, this is the same man that went over to another state when he's a Texas <laughs> Ranger to take a reporter in a house where a man was murdered. Well, this is true. So, I so, mean, I mean, think you about got it. a point. You got a point. So, that is our conclusion of the Texarkana Phantom Killer, the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, whichever one you want to call it. So the Texarkana Murders. Yeah, people by duty. Duty. You think so? You're convinced, duty. He confessed. (laughs) Just saying, a lot of people confess to things. Shannon, but most people don't kill themselves right after they write a letter to their family confessing of it. This is true. I mean, all right. So that's the last word. Christina says it's duty. It's duty. I would lean more towards... How would you like to be killed by duty? (laughs) They were killed by duty. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Killed by duty. Oh, Oh, goodness. I couldn't resist that one. I do apologize. I do apologize, Lord. Okay, so, um, references I need to go over. Uh, the, The book, The Phantom Killer by James Presley. Um, presentations by Jeremy Kennington and John Tennyson. Article by Prudence McIntosh at TexasMonthly.com. An article by Christy Stockton at ThoughtCatalog.com. An article by Field Walsh at TXKToday.com. The website DidDutyDoIt.com. <laughs> Which was... <laughs> How can we come up with a name that will get people to really want to go on our website? <laughs> That was actually... I got it. It's actually created by Dr. John Tennyson, who is a relative relative of Duty Tennyson. Wow. And uh, the, a book, The Texarkana Moonlight Murders, The Unsolved Case of the 1946 Phantom Killer by Michael Newton. But it's solved. 
It's unsolved. They might still have it as unsolved, but it's solved. It's not solved. It's officially, unsolved. officially, it's not solved. Look, but the murder—if it's not official, then it's unsolved. No, it's not. They just don't <laughs> want to admit their mistake. So let's just let's just leave it there. We're gonna so we're have just to gonna go back and forth just, on this all night because yeah, we know it's been solved. But anyway, <laughs> they don't want to admit it. But so anyway, so now it's time for the crafty criminal of the week. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so again, I've got the disclaimer. Please know these people are not crafty, and they're really. I don't really but... think you have to tell people that because once they hear the story, they're really gonna know. So this one's called "I Owe You." Uh oh. Now, Graham Pier, Graham Price, excuse me, of South Wales, he ripped off the bank where he worked. Dumbass. He stole some money. Haven't, hey, haven't you heard of the Loomis Vargas heist? Mm-hmm. Don't ever do that. Well, this guy, he, I mean, he wasn't really stealing. He was more borrowing. And we know this because he left a note in the safe that read, quote, Borrowed seven million pounds. Signed, Graham Price. <laughs> I need the seven million pounds to pay off some debt. Y'all can just have I'm that gonna, deducted from my paycheck. I'm going to pay it back a little bit at the time. I pay $10 a week. Well, I got this. You just For the next out. 200 years, I'll pay $10 a week with interest, and y'all will have your money back. So that's our Crafty Criminal of the Week. I think we need Needless to say, I didn't put this, but he was he was caught. You think? <laughs> Positive. Are you sure they were able to solve that one? But then again, it wasn't these investigators in Texarkana, so they probably didn't have any problem. But anyway. All right, guys. Uh, don't forget you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash onecrimepod. Uh, we got our mini set up for April. It's um, concerning the murder of Kevin Potts, uh, who was killed in West Virginia, so you can check that out. You can also check out our merch at tpublic um, slash onecrimepod, which we'll have a link to all that, so... You just click a button and click, and it sends you right to it. See how that works. So you know, click. You know, you know, technology. Even if you have a touch, technology, even if you have a touch screen, if you turn the sound all the way up, it will sound like you're clicking that button. Really not. <laughs> now remember, you can also email us at one crime at a time at gmail dot com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at One Crime Pod on all of those sites. Um, and the biggest thing you can do to help us out is go give us, um, let's rate us and give us a written review. And on we will read iTunes, it in the next And we will read years. it. <laughs> and maybe by episode 120, you will hear your review. I'm just playing. It won't take that long, trust me. Aren't we already at episode 120? You better get to read This is episode, what episode is this? Hold on, I can tell you. This is episode... Trying to get to the top of my page. She's <laughs> crazy. So long. 36. This is episode 36. You ain't got much time. You so. better get those reviews then. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Why did you say that? No, I didn't. What happened? I just popped myself in the face. <laughs> <and> I popped <laughs> Smooth. Well, I think we'll end it there. (laughs) It's a good way to end it. All right, guys. So until next week, remember only dive into one crime at a time. Bye. Bye.